Alrighty, welcome back to Operation Brewery Season 3, Episode Number 4. This is probably one of my favourite episodes. I got the opportunity to chat to um, Sterling Howland, who manages the brand and is one of the co-founders of Bolter, who I guess it would be pretty hard to argue that Bolter aren't the number one craft beer brand in the country, at least the fastest growing and... and, um, probably the most recognizable brand now with the, with the strength of their XPA and, and everything else they're doing. And Sterling's the man behind all of that stuff. And I just love this interview. Um, I thought he was incredibly humble and generous with his advice and just an absolute master at what he does. And I'm thrilled to be able to bring you guys this interview. Let's chat to Sterling from Bolter. All right, Sterls, welcome to the podcast. G'day, Dan. Thanks for doing this. I know you're, you're very busy. You're probably one of the busiest guys in the industry at the moment, um, especially in the middle of a beer launch, but, which we'll get to. But let's, let's start with, what were you doing before Bolter? Mate, I was, um, I was working at Red Rooster when I was 14. And, <laughs> you don't um, have to go back that far. Yeah, no, no, but I got the sack. It's an important part of the story. Right. <laughs> and I got fired for blowing up a chicken machine. Um, and then about a few weeks later, I, I went to Billabong um, as a kid and I asked if I could work in their retail shop. You know how you do um, work experience at yep. school? I thought if I gave them five free days of my time, um, I could prove to them that I'm a really good worker and that I'm, I'm worth having employing. Anyway, I got a job that Saturday and I didn't know it at the time, but that was going to set up the rest of my career. Yeah, well, actually, this is on the Gold Coast? Yeah, it's on the Goldie. So oh. it used to be the old blue building up in Cordon yeah, Drive with the wave on top as... Pretty state of the art, really cool, and that was back in about 1993 or four. And they used to have the factory that actually had like really cheap shit. Yeah, really cheap seconds and stuff. So it was kind of this is a dreamland, really, especially for a young bloke with yeah. not much money. So, but mate, yeah, started at Billabong. Uh, by the time of 18, I got asked to join the marketing team there. Um, sort of no official study for me. I'm I'm not the best at books. Um, wow. I might be world smart, but I'm not book smart. Um, so I got into marketing, but I didn't know at the time what that meant uh, for me. Um, I was always creative, always loved the arts. Um, but yeah, anyway, I got into that. And in 1998, I was told to start the internet for, for Billabong. <laughs> oh, for Billabong. I yeah. Start the internet. Yeah, no, well, I'd like to have claimed that, but I didn't. <laughs> um, no, but I got asked to start the internet for Billabong. Um, I didn't even know where the internet was at that stage. Um, I heard it was in computers and that was about it. So, man, I just um, put together a team of web developers and we built these websites. And that was the start of a digital marketing journey for me that I didn't even know I was headed on. Um, we had two guys in marketing. One guy got the print and one guy got the digital. And I got the digital and at the time print was king. So I thought I was getting totally duped. And, um, but I didn't realize that I would actually set the rest of my life up. So we um, started the live broadcasting of surfing back in 1998. We did the first ever live webcast of a sporting event in the world, wow. uh, which is pretty cool, yeah. um, with a company called Web21. They're an amazing web development company. Um, ended up going on and producing a lot of live broadcasts for surfing, and we did slow-mo replays and graphics packages and preloaded content and everything during the live feed and did water angles uh, from the water first time ever. We did all these things, and... We we're having a hell of a time doing it, but and didn't think we we're doing anything special except our job. And anyway, we we're thrust into all these circumstances um, as a digital marketer before it was even a term way back in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, I was probably given this amazing ride to what the world was actually going to become. And I had no idea that I was sort of in this pocket of 
of relevancy at the time. Yeah, that's an impeccable timing, isn't it? 1998. Yeah, big time, you know. And um, anyway, I think uh, Billabong, we were the first to have a brand on Twitter um, at the time. And we were doing customer service on Twitter right back when it started. And I didn't even know what we were tweeting or what who the tweets were going to. Like, you just hop on and play around. And then all of a sudden, you're a brand talking to consumers, which at that stage wasn't really common. Um, and I found this place in there that I really enjoyed is this real-time feedback about the work you do every day and out of those insights we I just started to gain these world views and Billabong had just floated on the share market um, I'd become the global creative director by that stage how old were you then mate I was um, I was in my mid-20s when I was doing all the digital stuff and then global creative director I was about 27 or 28 Far out, that's a hell of a job for a 27 year old yeah it was fun um I really love telling brand stories and I loved Billabong with all my heart. Um, only a surfer knows a feeling is what I grew up on. Mm. And then I was thrust into this opportunity to create um, the stories that were really passionate in my heart. So I, I was given an opportunity to make a campaign called I Surf Because. Um, I got to make a film about a good friend of mine, Andy Irons, that um, has since gone viral. Um, I didn't realise that was going to be a time capsule for Andy. Um, but at the time... Um, you know, I got to become this storyteller for this wonderful brand and I saw the power of honest marketing. Yeah. Unfortunately, Billabong was on the share market. So those two worlds were sort of juxtaposed. They just didn't work together. I uh, found it quite frustrating. So at that point, I had to kind of get out before I got jaded, you know. Yeah. And did it time well with, with uh, I heard uh, on, what's the podcast? Which was Bruise News? No, no, so. no. The, um, Chris. Oh, the beer healer. Beer healer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lukey. Yeah, he's oh, a legend. Cut, cut that out. <laughs> um, yeah. So B did an interview on there, and he and this was news to me that he was sort of the one that came to you guys or was sort of hitting you guys up for quite a while about the idea of starting yeah. Alter. Yeah. Well, I for about three years I went and did a bunch of above the line marketing and stuff with a company called Nimble. It was my mate's um, sort of financial tech company. Oh, and, I know the one. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, they had a really noble view that they wanted to change a really dodgy industry and I was really inspired by that. So I went and did all this marketing for them. It was, it was incredible. We won can lines. We won all sorts of shit for our marketing and it was really fun. It was crazy, but it opened this whole world of, of bigger um, sort of uh, brand discussions and, and more pockets of, of people out there that um, can be connected with the brands. And got to the point there where I was like, oh, this product doesn't work for me. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I kind of see it for what it is for me personally and yeah. I need to move on. And that's when um, these conversations actually started happening, the day that I made that decision in my mind. So. Wow, that's crazy how that stuff happens. Yeah. Um, and I'll skip over some of the founding story stuff yeah. because there's some other podcasts that I'll link to that do a really good job of telling those stories. Um, what... I guess you came in as, as one of the founders. What was the discussion around your role specifically? Yeah, so I got a call from Mick uh, a couple of days before my first daughter was going to be born in 2014. Um, I didn't know what he was actually contacting about. I didn't know whether it was something to do with the surf industry or whatever. And he just said, hey, Sterl, um, we're thinking about starting a brewery. Do you want to get involved? And, you know, the reason why they got to that point is the four boys had been sort of travelling around for quite some time and Bede had been travelling around for a few years and he just wanted to... He got to the point where, like, we're going to keep talking about this. We're actually going to do it. So they were sitting over there in Hawaii, four of them, uh, Josh Kerr, B. Derbidge, Mick Fanning and Joel Parkinson, and they just made a collective decision. Well, let's let's start somewhere. 
well, we need someone to set the brand up. Who could that be? And I knew the boys from my Billabong life, as just explained, and yep. um, they wanted someone to set that brand side of things up. We also knew that we needed a on-the-ground sort of general manager role, um, and we needed someone with a bit broader business experience that had experience of setting businesses up. Luckily for us, both Sean Ronan, who's the seventh founder, the, the token yank in our group uh, yeah. that we Sean was the about. first guy I met from Bolter, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, so he uh, he had a really broad, you know, they were involved with the brewery in the USA, so was Josh Kerr, um, so they had a bit of knowledge there. Um, you know, but it wasn't until January 7th that we kind of, we had our first meeting and really early on, we knew this thing could become a gimmick very quickly. Um, and it was really important for me and the rest of the team that it wasn't a gimmick. It had to be about good beer yeah. or we're not going to do anything any justice. Um, so right from the start, everyone agreed to that. It wasn't going to be Mick Fanning pulling into a barrel, holding up a tinny <laughs> or drinking them out of his shoes or whatever it is. Yeah. That wasn't for us. This is about good beer. So we'd had, we kind of got our foundational team, but we didn't have our brewer. Um, and sorry, we got Ant McDonald in as the GM as well. Yep. So Ant became the hands and feet of this business. He's now our CEO, um, you know, and does a freaking hell of a job at that. Um, but then, but still at that point, we hadn't had our brewer and we knew we had to get a gun, yep. you know, or this could really quickly become the Corona of craft, <laughs> you know, and um, no one wants that title. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, after eight weeks of coercion and, <laughs> um, you know, mating dances, we finally got Scotty. Um, if you know Scotty, he's a bit standoffish at start, but um, he's, a, he's a big softball underneath all that. And um, once he realised that our motives were as, as pure as his, he, he was like, oh, no, I get to build a brewery um, in my mind, in my dream, of my dreams. Yeah. And this opportunity don't come along every day. So away we went. Yeah, I think that was uh, definitely something that stood out to me is, I guess, before anyone tasted the beer, all that anyone heard about was this idea of McFanning starting a brewery, but it became pretty obvious very quickly that this wasn't just a celebrity business. Um, the, the hiring of Scotty turned out to be a masterstroke in that he was working on this XPA beer. And that, I mean, you, you've gone from, I guess, uh, Scotty homebrew to arguably the number one craft beer in the country so so how just talk us through that and, and and even the branding aspect of it calling it xba designing the cans all of that stuff yeah it's a pretty interesting one so if you just start back at scotty in that process you know it, by the time we said we're going to do this uh was probably it was in december so 2015 we had our first meeting at the beginning of by the following march in 2016 we were open so in that time you know scotty had a reputation he's a mad home brewer he started as a home brewer um you know i think his first every year home brewing he won um best newcomer at the aussie um homebrew champs nice. and um so the guy had an obviously ability to make beer well and obviously make it really well out of his garage um you know scotty um you know everyone knows come from stone and wood um scotty's homebrew um when he was at stone and wood fueled a lot of chrissy parties you know um so scotty's got this place at home it's called the jackie lounge or the jl and that's where everything sort of started. Um, he'd been working on XPA for quite some time, maybe nine months to 12 months at that stage. It was a slightly higher ABV um, when we first sat around and said, this is going to be our beer. It was closer to 6% at that time. And it wiped us out that day. Um, <laughs> but in a de very delicious, fucking beautiful way. Like it was a real good night. But um, we're like, oh, we might need to just dial it back a bit. Were you guys into craft beer at the time and used to drinking high alcohol beers or was that... 
Yeah, I think um, definitely, definitely into craft beer. Um, you know, it's sort of for me, it's been like a maybe a ten year long journey. Yeah, right. You're traveling around stage. to all these places in America. They're just crushing it with beer. Yeah, or even just that first experience when Bright Isle hit your lips when it was yep. way back in the day when it was that beautiful sort of citrus and lychee thing going on, really floral. It's amazing beer. But anyway, um, yeah, so definitely. But you know. Scotty's beers are notorious for kneecapping people. They think they're drinking something far lighter than it is. Right. Because he's such a... All these beers are so integrated and well-balanced. People just suck them down. But they don't realise they're sucking down a 6.5 percenter. Yeah, you got to be know? careful. And all of a sudden, boom, you're on the floor. Um, yeah. But we, we advocate responsible <laughs> yeah. drinking on the Operation Brewery. Uh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you're on the spore Responsibly, you're on the floor. Yeah. So, um, you know you've had enough. Yeah. So we knew we probably had to dial it back a little bit. Um, but the flavor profile is there. You know, Scotty has a love affair with American hops. Um, and he just had this... Uh, and Scotty's kind of crazy too. He's constantly tweaking. Like we, yeah. a beer never just rests with Scotty. He knows how to make it better next time. Even if it's just by like 0.1 of a percent, he's like, oh, I can change something here. It's just going to make it that bit better. And we still gently dial XPA as a beer to this day. Yeah, right. Um, the, so... The, what about the the name XPA? Because I, I remember at the time thinking there were other XPAs, but they weren't they weren't what is now considered an XPA. I think what people consider an XPA now is largely due to your XPA. Um, was it was the name just there from the start, or did you decide to call it that for a reason? Well, yeah, I'd never until I spoke to Scotty, I'd never really heard of XPA as a style, and and it, and it's not a style; it's just a name. That's all it is. It's yeah. not an actual style of beer. Um, but I'd never heard of something being called that. Um, and our take on it from our virgin ears was always just, oh, it's extra pale in colour and it's a hop-driven beer. Um, Wolf of the Willows already had an XPA yes, in yeah. market. Um, That's the first memory I have of one. Same. Um, and I, I think it was quite a different beer. From memory, it was, a, it was sort of a more hop-driven, not necessarily lighter in colour. It was more the extra hop as opposed to the extra pale. Yeah, I think it was extra hop, but I feel like um, even in its colour, it was yeah, it was, it was more IPA-like. It was quite... Um, yeah. It had a really good malt backbone to yeah. it as well. Um, yeah, but that's all we know. So the, the name XPA, we're like, okay, well, Scotty, if, if that's the name you have for this beer, then that's what we're going to call it. Um, you know, I think it's probably indicative of our conviction around everything we do. Um, you know, we've... We don't necessarily look to the side of what's happening or behind. We we like to just sort of set our own drumbeat and our own tone, and um, rightly or wrongly, that's kind of how we approach things. Yeah. So XPA, it was. Um, I felt that at the time too, there was a lot of um, really crazy beer names and for me i find that quite confusing when i was walking into a store especially if you're starting you and your craft journey and you walk in and you're just confronted with this wall of, of really busy crazy sort of stuff going on i don't think that's really well by default it's not super inclusive it's not the intention but by default it kind of like oh, i don't know where to start i'm just going to go down there to something i know um you know, so for us, it was about simple naming conventions. It was about getting clear messages cut through um, and, yeah, not trying to um, mess with people's minds before they even purchase it because we're a new brand. We're, we're, you know, there's lots of craft breweries out there before us, so we had to kind of reduce as many barriers to trial as possible and um, simple naming conventions and simple branding were a big part of that. Yeah, um, and how does it feel knowing that Coopers now have an XPA? Do you think about that at all? Mate, yeah, it, it's really... I kind of feel like we have a bit of a bit to play in that, yeah, and I, I, think so. I think I'm, 
I'm really proud of that actually. Like, well, you know, you've, I think Montice brought one out and all these uh, big breweries are, are bringing out this style now and that's not a style, you know. So it's sort yeah. of, um, they've obviously seen maybe what um, the Bolter XPA has done and obviously gone, okay, well, maybe there's some commerciality in it for us. Um, I'm not sure how those beers go for those folks, but um, yeah, I kind of look at it as it's kind of flattering. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty good sign that you, you're being noticed, and a company like Cooper's doesn't change that quickly. So, um, you talked about the sort of more inclusive nature of the beer names, and that's obviously transit uh, translated in the branding as well. Can, can you just talk us through? Like when Scotty presented you with this beer XPA, how did you get from there to not so much the name, but just the way the cans look? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, Scotty and I have very different tastes when it comes to aesthetic. Scotty's an old metalhead from Canberra, you know. Um, I've got a, a love affair of minimalism and, and Japanese design and... Um, and are you a designer yourself or you've just always worked with no i'm not i'm a creative director by trade so for me i get the process from from film all the way through to print to everything it's sort of you have to pull together broader strategy and you have to come up with the creative concept that runs threads through the entire process so i do i create campaigns with aesthetic in mind is probably the best way to to look at it but no i don't push pixels yeah um back when i was a kid if you you know programs are so hard to use that you had to specialize but my role wasn't about specializing it was about pulling together the the bigger picture so i never became a master of film or a master of anything but i could pull together you know very high level campaigns so um yeah for me i don't push pixels i've got Lockie goldsworthy who's worked with me from the beginning on bolter um and he's also a part of our uh, bolter family um in terms of our original investing group of friends and family but um so for us uh we were just looking at beer from a very new standpoint um we weren't trying to be a heritage brewery we were just trying to represent what beer meant to us and then what it probably meant in 2016 when we were going to launch this can uh for me the shelf space was very busy um it was hard for the eye to track it was there was a lot going on um there was no white cans at the time um i love white as foundational color um and that seemed like the place i wanted to go so i teamed up with Lockie. um we designed hundreds of shitty designs like we didn't get that design on the first go i can tell you that and we started on bottles as well but um both scotty and myself had a real passion to put this beer in cans and that was it um then we we're like okay well the white can we've designed it um it looks pretty good the bolter was floating it didn't have a rectangle at the time and it just felt like everything was floating and there wasn't anything hinging you back and focusing your eye and creating hierarchy so we put a rectangle around it, which focused you on the brand, Bolter with Enjoyment Smile, XPA, but it was still an all-white can. It's like, well, you put that on the shelf, it's going to look like a home brand can. So it was just all home brand, like XPA, IPA, and you'd be squinting trying to work out your beer. So it was an obvious next choice was creating a colour band. And that colour band um, has really been what set off the brand and created a, a general flamboyance to the brand. Um, we designed this as well. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go into the design technicalities of that can. Please do. <laughs> nothing, yeah, well, nothing on there is, um, is about waste. So, you know, you've got Bolter with enjoyment up the top. So it's the first thing you see. So there you see the brand. 
if you're way back out of the store and you can't even read a label, you're going to see the white, the color and the rectangle and you'll know, oh, Bolter's in the store. It was all about creating a, a point in the fridge where your eye would track to. And when that sits on a, on a shelf, all those cans create a whiteout together. And that was our original concept is we want to create a whiteout. So if you're confronted with this wall of confusion, then Bolter will sit beautifully there. And when the light hits it, it's going to pop even more. So there was all this thinking around the actual practical nature of this can. Um, that little strip around the bottom is a two-phase two thing. Practically, um, it offers as a beacon of light in an esky. You can actually see the, your colour strip in an esky of, of cold ice or whatever. Uh, there's also a coloured smile up around the rim. So if your cans are all facing up, looking at you as you look into the tin, you could see purple smile, green smile, yellow smile, orange smile, whatever you want. So it's, it's got a practical element like that. But when we first uh, started Bolter, Scotty said to me, hey, still, you know, what's good beer to you? And, um, well, I said, simply, good beer to me is one that doesn't get shitty towards the end of the, the glass or the end of the can, that you don't just want to leave it on the bench and walk away, that you want to have it to the very last sip. And that band becomes symbolic of quality to us, that when you get to that part of our tinny, it should be ramping up. It should be getting better. It should be becoming more than you had at that very first sip which leads you into your next tinny. So the last sip of that can should be as good as the next sip of the next can. And uh, that band is symbol symbolic of our commitment to quality as well. So a little bit of something probably someone didn't know. So That's amazing. I think if anyone was thinking that the Bolter brand was some kind of accident, they've, they've been put straight after that, <laughs> after that one. That's amazing. The other thing I like about the um, rectangle is you see a lot of the craft beer cans come out and you've just got this... I mean, a lot of these cans are starting to look the same with the colours and whatnot now, but you have like this really bold colour at the bottom and a completely opposite colour at the top and it almost looks like two cans together, but the rectangle sort of softens that a little bit. No, it's a, it's a really good point. It, um, and your hierarchy is too, you're like Bolter, XPA, Bolter, IPA, Bolter, Pilsner. And even if you don't even know the names, you go, oh, I like the blue tinny. Yeah. I like the yellow tinny, you know. And um, yeah, it definitely blends the the worlds of um, beer style and brand. Um, I want to talk about some of the other marketing things you guys do as well. I've got a, one of our mutual customers, I won't tell you who it is because he'll, he'll probably be embarrassed, but he was telling me the other night after a few beers that he, he just follows everything you guys do because he just thinks rightfully so that you're just executing so many things amazingly well. Um, it's not just the branding, it's not just the beer, there's a lot of other stuff you guys do. So talk us through some of the other things like the you know, the event stuff, Tin Yarda, Tins of Glory, and, and those crazy videos. I've got a couple of questions about those at the end, but but I'm guessing all of this falls under you in terms of organising, planning, all of that stuff? Yeah, you know, I've got a massive team of two, myself and Benny Truman that work here. Um, in terms of ideas, um, it's funny, my creative process is a lonely one. Um, I usually start writing or creating an idea on my own, and I'm in the car and I'll be talking out loud what I think about this idea. It's a really weird process. If you pulled up at the lights, you go, fuck, that guy hasn't got all these sandwiches in this basket. Like it's, it, yeah, it, it doesn't look normal. But um, for me, that's this time of, of discovery. And I, I'm very self-critical and I understand if something's a shit idea or a good idea. And I'm very critical of my own work. So, um, you know, Tins of Glory, you know, it all started because it's Bolter with enjoyment. Like before we even had Bolter the name, we had Beer Smiley. It just turns out that Bolter means with enjoyment, you know. And so these worlds come together because that Beer Smiley happened because we were a passionate, not just about what goes into beer, because that's great and it's all about quality and excellence, 
But what draws people to beer is what happens around beer. And this brewery was built on that. Like beer is an assist to a lot of really great moments in life. Like beer is this thing that comes along and makes really cool environments, right? Uh, social loop, people call it or whatever it is. So for us, that with enjoyment element um, was the DNA. And with enjoyment means having fun, right? And so out of that comes the amazingly broad and blank canvas to come up with ideas. Um, you know, people love beer sports, um, and Tins of Glory manifested uh, simply I was sliding cans down this bench here and I was like, oh man, that slide's really easy. It's like one of those really cool movies where they slide the beer along the bench. And then I was like sliding and I was like, huh, imagine if you could score points. I wonder what that would do. If, like this become a really good beer game. So you just buy yourself at this point in the... In yeah, the and then I'd just go to my friends and I'd go, hey, if you could slide cans down a bench and score points and like a tennis tournament goes through to the next round and then get to the final and win beer for the year, would you feel pretty good about that? And they go, yeah, that'd be fucking amazing. And so we built a table. Um, we went to our second good beer week at this stage with a new sport um, and a world championships because when you invent a sport, you can create your own world championships. And we trialed this thing for the very first... Well, we trialed it first here for a hospo night and it went absolutely apeshit. And who would have thought sliding tinnies down a bench and scoring points, something so simple, would work? The beauty of this is two things. The can is the hero, which is the hero of our business. And two, it's not a drinking game. So you can market it really easily because it's not about drinking. People are drinking when they're doing it, but you're not doing something and then having to scale or yeah. do anything like that. So that was kind of like the genius stroke of it. Um, mate, those ideas like that, they just happen. Um, Tignata, we were sitting around here, this exact table, and we're like, oh man, we're doing this party for the poor. What would be a fun activity? And someone said... Tinia, a pinata, let's bash a thing. I said, oh, let's make it a giant tinny. And then Luke Tremuen, who's our, our ambassador from Vico, said, tinata. And this idea just went bang, bang, bang in two seconds. So we started making these giant tinnies and started bashing the shit out of them. And wherever we take them, they just create fun and good vibes. And with enjoyment, it's just pinnacle. Um, but if you were to boil it all down to a, an approach or in a philosophy, I have a real simple worldview on, on brands and it's simply that they're the sum of the experience had with them. So if you look at a brand as a bunch of touch points, um, you know, your website, social media, events, everything you do, tap room, beers you make, product, um, back of house, accounts, everything you do is, is a touch point for your staff. How do they come to work? Like brand is back of house and front of house. So what is the sum of the experience had with Bolter? Um, is it good at two and then shit at 10 or is it good at 10? And so you leave there going, man, I've, I with enjoymented like 10 <laughs> times then, you know, I used their website. It was super easy to use. I got their product and it's really nice fit and it's a good cut. I drink their beers and I love them. I want to share them with my friend. I played Tignata and it was awesome. I held tinnies down a bench and blah, blah, blah. So it's this ongoing um, sort of... Um, sort of respect for the sum of the experience and for me as the sort of gatekeeper to the brand i have to look at everything we do and make sure that everyone is performing at that level of going i've got a touch point here that i present to a customer or a, or a colleague or a contractor what's the outcome for them and that's how i approach absolutely everything and um yeah i think that's manifested in um people maybe feeling connected to, to bolter and what about the videos Mate, uh, mate, I was making surf films um, with friends. Um, I was more in a producer role, but my producer role went over into sort of creative direction and I had a lot of filmmaker friends growing up. Um, we made a bunch of films for Billabong. Um, 
that just led for a massive passion in that space. Um, I've had the uh, opportunity to work with heroes of mine in that space and um, who've now become friends. And I, I, f- I feel very lucky throughout my Billabong journey and just my journey in uh, life in general even though I didn't study and go to school and do all the things, I've been surrounded by really incredible people. At every key milestone in my life, there's been wonderful, wonderful people that I've learned from and gleaned from and have shaped um, what was probably already in here, but I didn't maybe have structure around it. And they've helped me structure what my idealistic views were and project them into into content or whatever it is or ideas like whatever. So for film... um, I love the theatre of the absurd. I, I am an absolute um, glutton for New Zealand advertising, New Zealand film. Um, I think Kiwis laugh at themselves better than any nation on earth um, and that's really influenced me in a lot of ways. And um, so for me, you know, we started Bolter pretty absurdly. Like... Everyone was like, what are these boys doing? Are they starting a surfboard company? Are they doing an apparel company? Uh, blah, blah, blah. So um, we thought we'd start um, a fake business before we told people we were doing beer and um, the with enjoyment. So let's have fun with this. Um, so with enjoyment, we pranked everyone and said, we've got a new cologne coming out called Ocean's Mist. That's right. Yeah, this. by Surfers 4. And um, it was the four boys looking all brooding and um, horny on the cover and they, um, you know, and we created this fake cologne and everyone just goes, you people have lost your fucking mind. You guys are so cocky at your success as surfers that you think you can get into the cologne business? And anyway, we got death threats and people got kicked off fantasy surfer teams and all this shit played out. But it just came back to being absurd. And then we were, we were gladly able to tell people, it's like, oh, we're not doing a bloody cologne. That's not that good, but we're making beer. That's good. And um, everyone was like, yeah, beer, you know. And that really set the tone for Bolter. And I guess we approach everything with that same humour. We're not scared to make fun of ourselves. Um, and we're not... Yeah, we just don't want to be anything we're not. So these videos you see are really... You know, so when um, we did the hazy video, there was a scooter in that hazy video and there was a mean little bunny hop at the end. Um, for about five years on um, on, a, on my notes in Evernote, I've, I've got a note there, put bunny hop in ad on scooter, right? So, uh, yeah, like I, I believe in those things. Um, you know, we've got an ad coming out soon. I think it's really funny uh, when people um, go like that and they go, squish, you know, and, I, and like I've got, no, put squish in an ad. Um, and it's sort of, it's just really everyday things that I find amusing. Um, and now I've got this outlet to put them in ads. Um, some people probably scratch their head and go, oh, they're idiots. Or, and other people look at it and go, oh, wow, that's pretty funny. So I selfishly, I probably make a lot of this stuff for myself. Um, but because I'm just a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill person, um, maybe it connects with people. I don't know. I'm sure it Or does. maybe I've got my head up my ass and no. I'm the only one enjoying it. So, <laughs> No, I, I, wonder, I just wonder how those conversations... Are. Obviously, you've, because you've done this your whole life, you, you know, you've got a respect to the point of view. I imagine you can kind of do what you want. But at some point, do you have to go into a meeting with a bunch of the guys and say, I'm going to put a squish in the video yeah, and it's going to yeah. be funny? <laughs> I think... Um, so yeah not really we, we're pretty autonomous here we trust each other immensely and um, when we set up our founding team to run this business 
it was because we trust everyone to play their position really well and we'd never do anything to compromise the rest of the team that's the kind of the standard you're playing for everyone i can pass the ball without looking and i know it's going to hit ant on the chest um in his role and then as a waters in his role and scotty in his and brian in his like there's it just goes on and on and on through the business. So, no, um, I like to think I've got a fairly good grasp on what not to and what to say. Working in the TV advertising space for a number of years really helped me understand um, what is allowed and what isn't allowed. And luckily for me, I was um, exposed to the two of the best copywriters in the world. Um, they won the award for best copywriters in the world. And I was exposed to these people and I learned a hell of a lot on uh, the ability to script write, the ability to um, have fun but not drop the standard. So, yeah, yeah. it was um, – yeah, I think that answered the question. I don't know. Got yeah. tr- tracked off again. No, no. That, that's Sorry, people at home. If you're listening, <laughs> I do tend to go off on tangents and I do apologise. It's only been going for half an hour, so we're actually doing quite well. And I've and I've gotten close to the end of my section. I did want to ask another oh, question God. about that though, because um, at some point you do show your colleagues the video. Like, can you paint us a picture of how that goes, or do they just get on Instagram one day and just see it? No, I, I do show them. Um, man, creating any type of art is a vulnerable experience. So yeah, that, that was going to be more the question: is do you get nervous when you're doing that? I definitely do. Um, you know, when I had to show Scotty the fir- that cam for the first time as it's finished work, and I know what he likes. Um, he likes Metallica and Pantera, and um, you know, um, a lot of he's a he's a he's a he's a metal guy, you know. And here I am with this beautiful can that sits in equally within women's hands as it does men's hands. Um, that's a very vulnerable situation to be in, but. I knew Scotty and I were going to get along really well because even though it wasn't his taste, he trusted me. And the whole motive of that cam was not to overpower what was inside. It was just to assist what was inside, to visually storytell what they might be about to experience. It wasn't to go, here I am and, oh, there's some beer inside. Um, and I think Scotty understood my approach. And at that point, it gained his trust. And at that point, he said, mate, go for it. You have my trust. Now, when it comes to film... Um, Mate, anything I do, I'm I'm an insecure, creative person, just like most creative people are. Um, I know when now I've got a good idea, and I'll 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 hunt it down. Um, but for example, when I jumped in front of the camera for the handsome Elvis clip, we nearly didn't have handsome Elvis, right? Um, cans were exploding left, right, and center. Things were going to hell, and we went home defeated one night. And I'd written this script and I felt really strongly about it. Like, I think this is a really great idea and I'm, I'm feeling good about it. And we didn't have a person to play the role. So I was like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm a dickhead, so I can do it. Because <laughs> right. um, that's all we needed is someone who was a bit of a dickhead. And so I jumped in and did it. And then it wasn't happening. Then we came back to work the next day and I'm like, no one's told me why this beer is not happening. Fucking let's get our asses into gear and let's make this happen. We pulled the lab in. All of a sudden, the cans were working. We packaged the beer and it was on. But we usually have three weeks to produce an end-to-end launch campaign. We had seven days. And um, so we just heads down, bum up. Now, here I am. And you'd filmed it already? No, we hadn't. And that's oh. the crazy part. I just said to the guys, I think I've got something really, really good. So I've put myself out there, but it wasn't happening. So no one's going to really ever know. Um, but then it was back on at the hand of myself and I was like, oh God, I hope this is good. And fuck, I'm, I'm on that side of the lens. God, I hope this is good. I hope I don't stuff it up. Anyway, we did it. We had a hell of a lot of fun doing it. 
that beer, it was so well received. It outperformed any other thing we'd launched to date. Um, it's a delicious it, beer too. That helps. No, it does help. Um, and it gives me confidence to be able to go do these things because I believe in the product. I don't even have to think about, are we lying to people? No, mm. we're not. We're telling the truth because Scotty's unreal at his job. Um, as is amazing at making sure our beer shows up at every venue around Australia. I've got confidence back there. And then it was like... Um, you know, you come to this point, but that beer at Gab's Melbourne went from usually our number six beer on the eight tap system we run, it went to number one. Wow. And it was in front of Daisy and Hazy and Hazy DC and all these flamboyant loved beers with our community. And here's Handsome Elvis outpouring them all. And it just showed me the power of communication, showed me the power of a really good product and showed me the power of just really backing yourself. So I do get nervous as hell. Um, I hate press and play. I just kind of sink back around the corner <laughs> here and, and let them Hope go. Laugh. But when they start laughing, it's like, oh, good, okay, yeah, we got there, we got there. That's brilliant. Uh, leads very well into my next question. I've got a, uh, we've got a Facebook group and a bunch of people were, I kind of told them I was interviewing you um, and asked them what questions they would ask you. And the first question comes from Luke from Crumbin Valley Brewing and he said only one question needs to be asked how does it feel to be the handsome Elvis <laughs> well for someone who's not handsome feels really really fucking good <laughs> it's sort of uh yeah kind of maybe it's um I think that role is extremely self-indulgent and um which I must fit really into the current internet landscape um so yeah it feels amazing and self-indulgent and I feel like the big man himself um, and what pretty much way about the same at the moment. Not handsome Elvis, the big Elvis, <laughs> the right. one towards the end of his career. <laughs> right. um, okay, I've got a couple of questions from Matt Quinton. I feel like we've probably answered a couple of these, but I might I know, just... Matty. We'll, we'll give this another go. Um, I really like to know what parallels from a marketing perspective align with marketing a surf brand and a brewery. What parallels they are? Um Really nothing uh, except approach. Um, for me, <clears throat> like I said, it's all about approach. It's all about the philosophy of why you do something. Um, we all know how we do it. We all know what we do. But the why, what motivates that, um, we're just extremely passionate individuals about what we do. And, and you know that word passion gets thrown around and bandied around. But we love and believe in what we do. Uh, so at that point, there's an awful amount of conviction that goes into any work you do just it's it's a default output um how you well then you translate that into connecting with your customer is is the art form um so for me the fact that we can start at a really pure place where we're not bullshit artists because i always say to scotty thanks for making great beers mate because i'm not a bullshit artist now and that's what marketers are if the product shit you're just yeah. liars right so well, and also the the not to put down other breweries but the whole history of beer is kind of bullshitting people into buying you know the same thing that's looked that looks and sounds different yeah he's got a better ad yeah. you know so for us it starts from that place of just complete honesty and conviction and um and and that's how i've always started all my work i wouldn't do something unless i felt totally empowered that it was the truth um sometimes it's turned out not to be the truth uh, but that's only just through research and understanding of what you're doing but because we own this brewery this is our brewery we control every single last um, element and so at that point you gain an awful amount of confidence and allows you to tell stories that you want confidently nice and matt asked a follow-up question uh Baltra, clearly one of the industry's leaders and well respected how do they manage to ensure a successful beer brand stood alone and separate to the surf industry experience within the foundations of the business i think he's sort of getting at the what we we're talking about before with having the i guess celebrity 
on the founders team. Yeah, you know, like I mentioned probably a little bit earlier, is that with if we don't make the best beer possible, then it's a gimmick. And we all knew that. We were under no illusion that it was just going to become Mick Fanning's beer you put in a shoe um, if it wasn't great beer. And um, so very early on, the boys agreed they didn't want to be the face of it. And they've been instrumental in creating awareness for Bolter. They're wonderful ambassadors for the Bolter brand. But you won't see them posting like madmen. You don't see them spruiking Bolter like annoyingly. Um, we're... We're very mindful that the beer has to be the hero. The beer has to do the talking. And as Mick always says, we're just Bolter's cheerleaders. And, you know, not very good-looking cheerleaders, but they're very um, impactful cheerleaders. You know, Mick's a very well-respected guy, as are all the other boys. And it's priceless what the value they've added. But I remember we went to our first Gabs and we were Mick Fanning's brewery. And I was really proud that we were because Mick's a good mate of mine. He's a wonderful human being. Yeah, I think he was um, ringing the bell as well. Yeah, he, he rang the bell. Me? Yeah, to open gabs. And I think, yeah, he was yeah, pretty chuffed about that. But we made two conscious things. So number one, uh, we were down there on a media tour for gabs. Uh, we didn't talk about Bolter once. We spoke about the Good Beer Festival. No one knows this, but that's that was our decision. We didn't want to go down there and spruik uh, just because we had an opportunity um for me that felt crass especially because we had no runs on the board um yeah people asked about bolter and yeah i'm involved in a brewery but we've just started um type of thing with mick but for us that set the standard of uh well backed up what we originally planned um then at that point um scotty's beer started getting out and we met we met Steve Wagner that year, the head of Stone Brewing, the original founder of Stone Brewing in America. Yeah, right. And he came to our he came to Gabs. Yeah, he came to Good Beer Week and came to our beer event because his wife and kids surf, and they just wanted to meet Mick. Yeah, he's got a brewery, whatever, but they wanted to meet Mick. <laughs> Steve gets there and tries Scotty's beers, and he goes, "Oh, where's your brewer? I don't care about Mick. Like, where's your brewer? You know." And they struck up a friendship and, you know, and, and off we went. So I think, you know, for us, it was a conscious effort not to turn it into a celebrity beer brand. Um, I feel, you know, luckily our beers have won all the technical awards. We've had a wonderful run with People's Choice. Um, we feel very honoured that the beer was able to do its own talking and it was a conscious effort from the start not to rely on the profile of the boys. Brilliant. Now, thanks for these questions, guys, too. Some of these are yeah, they're, amazing they're questions. Yeah, they're actually really good questions. Um, Jeff Frampton, uh, with a new brewery opening on average every four days in Australia, what are the values that customers identify with that separate each brewery, i.e. product, brand, or the people's story, and how does that relate to the incumbents, in brackets, 90% of beer sold? Man, I think um, good beer companies, you know, I'll use this as an example. So... And Black Ops are, are really good at this as well. Um, when someone has a customer complaint or up late on um, social media talking to Bolter Brewers or on Facebook, they're probably talking to me. Um, isn't that a wonderful thing? Like, you know, Bolter's not a big brewery, but we're not a small brewery anymore. We've got a lot of work to do. But isn't it a wonderful thing that the founder's DNA is really happening in every conversation? that goes on with this business. And I, I see you guys are really active in that space as well. And it means a lot to me that um, we have such a personal touch. And I think that is what people love about good beer is you can feel that personal touch, you know. And when we won um, Gabs for the, the Hottest 100 for the second time, we got about a thousand plus thing, uh, messages from individuals on, on Instagram. 
for the next four hours, I sat down and I applied to every single person individually and chatted with them because those people took time to vote. Number one, vote for us, mm. which is remarkable in itself. Number two, um, we won. And number three, they took the time out to then go, after you won, congratulations. Like, that to me is the perpetual strength of being intimate with your product and intimate with your customers. Um, We honestly really, really give a shit and we really, really care. And I think that's what separates, um, you know, good beer from the rest and um, good beer companies to the rest. And maybe some good beer companies don't do that, you know. And I encourage anyone out there running a business that you'd never want to lose that personal touch. Mm. And if if that's – I think that's the answer to the question is – yeah, it's all about that touch and, and you yeah. can't get that through mass-produced other stuff. That's brilliant. Um, and if you are messaging Black Ops, there's a good chance it'll be me too, so be nice if you're messaging yeah, Black yeah. Ops or Bolt. Yeah. Don't go, oh, man, I met Dan the other week. Yeah. Geez, a bit of a dickhead. <laughs> hey, can I talk to someone about this faulty tinny I've got there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Mark Chislett is just a super fan of independent beer. He's all over Facebook. You've probably seen him. Mark is a dead set <laughs> ambassador for good beer on the Gold Coast. He... His passion and pride in southeast Queensland's beer and Northern Rivers is it blows me away. I, I see Mark a lot uh, around the internet, and yeah, Mark, g'day, mate. You're a dead set <laughs> legend. Hundred percent agreed. So, so he's got three questions here. Uh, the first is, can we expect more of your superb acting in future Bolter commercials? Mate, I might have retired <laughs> unless I get a Hollywood gig, but no, mate. Uh, I'm not real comfortable with jumping that side of the lens, even though it looked like I was. It's, I think people would get very sick of me standing in front of the lens, so I'll, I'll avoid it if, if at all possible. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to skip the middle question because it's more about the, the product um, and I've got so many questions. Um, but his third question is a good one. Yeah, we're in between you launching your new lager at the moment, uh, this week, I think. Um, what brought on the idea to retire the Pilsner in choice of a lager, it's a cracking craft pills. Yeah, it really is. Um, in in short, the, the honesty of it all is I think it gets lost on a lot of people. Um, Australians in general don't understand Pilsner, I don't think, um, especially in the craft space. Uh, you know, they can grab a, a, you know, imported Pilsner across the board for, for really, really cheap. Um and it's just not a style that's understood, but lager in Australia has a real sense of nostalgia. There's a real affection towards that beer. Um, we've been making Happy the Lager for about 12 months now, and it's been on our tap room. Um, it's consistently our number two beer. Um, and at beer festivals, it, it wallops it out. And what it showed me is there's more people into lager than are letting on. And so for us, it was a conscious decision based off what our community was telling us. Um, I love our Pilsner too, um, but the lager for me does tick a lot of boxes, especially moving into a part of the year that's going to be a lot hotter. Um, you know, the, da- the lager's slightly dialed back in bitterness. Um, the hop flavour and aroma is, is, is dialed back from the Pilsner, um, and the ABV's dialed back as well. Um, we've you've got a word we created called drinkableness, and that word really does sum up this beer. And, you know, like Scotty says, sometimes people don't want a beer that's fighting for your attention. Sometimes people want a beer that just sits in the moment with you and you don't have to deconstruct it. You don't have to overthink it. You can just drink it and get on with great conversation and hanging out with your mates. So that's why Lager took over pills. Um, And it looks like Dan might need to cough. (laughs) 
<laughs> People don't have to know that I'm coughing in between each question. Okay. <laughs> Throw one in just I'll to show people that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so this question, uh, I actually answered this myself in the in the Facebook group because anytime I'm asked this question, I feel compelled to answer it myself. But I'm going to answer, ask you anyway because pricing can't be separated from marketing. Mm. Um, question is from Matthew Paul. With all due respect and understanding that lots of ingredients and time go into making these wonderful beers with the amount of volume Bolter and Black Ops are now moving, when will we possibly see pricing come down a little bit, making enjoying this expensive hobby a little easier on punters hard-earned? This is a serious question. Uh, one of the easiest ways for all craft beer manufacturers to lure new drinkers in would be to make a little less expensive to try something new. And the word easiest got my attention, and so I wrote a reply to this, but I'm interested in your answer. Yeah, mate, I wish we had the tax system of America. I really do. You know, we're, our excise taxes over here are insane. It's why all good beer in Australia is is expensive. Um, I'd love to see pricing down, um, but our economies of scale aren't that of a, a massive uh, multinational. So for us, um, you know, that think, oh, you make more beer, it's going to get cheaper to produce. We're not really at that scale yet um, is probably one side of it. You know, we get slugged uh, 23%, 24% um, excise every Monday morning before we even sell a beer. Um, you know, so if you sell a million bucks worth of beer, 250,000 of that, I'm not good at maths, but I'll do the maths, <laughs> 250K of that goes out the door to the government. Um, and that's before you've even sold your beer. So they're kicking you in the nuts before you're even getting off the ground. So yeah, good beer is more expensive. Um, you know, we try our best to price it fairly. One thing we can't control is what venues actually charge for our beer. Um, when we were a bit harder to get, um, it was terrible what was going on out there. And we would have personal conversations uh, with a number of outlets um, about, you know, ripping people off. Um, but at the end of the day, there, there are elements we can control and can't control. But it's for us now, the size we are, it's not as easily um, brought down as, as people might think. Yep. I don't know what your thoughts were, Dan. Uh, yeah, all of that stuff. And, and also probably just the, I mean, it's just a very, very difficult business to run. It's, it's such an expensive thing. And I, I don't want to go on too long because I'm not being interviewed here, but, but mm. um, there's just so many things that go into, like all the stuff you're talking about where, you know, everything in the business is done with quality in mind. Like there's no way to do any of that stuff cheaply. Like any, no. everything from staff to... You know, look at look at the the design of the building, the tap room, the, the tanks, the equipment, just everything. There's no way to do this cheaply, and no. um, add excise on t on top of that. It's 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 kind of impossible. It really is, and and you know, every, people probably look at Bolter and go, "Oh man, those guys have got it easy. They've had an open checkbook and all this sort of stuff," which isn't the case. You know, like when we set up, we we basically purchased two million dollars worth of equipment with two hundred and fifty grand in the bank. Um, it's a miracle when how we pulled it off and and raised that money. But we did. Um, we've since spent probably about nine million on this precinct. Um, you know, it's expensive. Then on top of that, salaries for fifty-six staff. Um, no, sixty-six staff now. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot that goes into bringing this beer to you guys. And our biggest commitment is always going to be quality. Um, you know, that's why we invested in a lab. You know, we have a lab that tests our beers every day. We know our dissolved oxygen levels in all our beers and all our kegs now, and we understand. We're fighting the battle of quality. Um, Bolter doesn't um, steal taps. Well, we don't pay for taps. And we also um, don't sell kegs cheaply because that just brings the entire industry down. 
Um, so I hope we get to the point where we do offer a bit of a lesser hit to the pocket, but that's going to come through the government and excise. You know, they sit in the headlines claiming all these wins for craft beer, but they're so incremental. Like someone said, oh, after this tax um, break you guys were given um, last year, how much, you know, we're going to see come off the beers? And I worked it out. I said, oh, probably 0. 0.008 cents. If you were to take that across our volume yeah. and what we do, that saving of 100 grand a year, which will, you know, look after one or two employees, it means nothing to the bigger picture, but the government are making headlines with this. Right, but, but, but other wine, stuff's going up as well, which people don't notice. You've got container scheme, you've got this fire levy, there's stuff all the time that's going up that, that doesn't get the attention. 100%, and then cost of goods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're going to sound like a bunch of whingers if we keep going. Yeah, no, but, but we're just trying to give, I guess, yeah, insight to... It's not as easy as just, yeah, let's bring the price down or we'll go, we'd all go broke and you'd have no good beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, so Reese Lockhead asks, uh, is there a danger in getting caught up in the hype of the drinking slash non-drinking fan base and just settle on producing the same stuff that's been working in brackets hottest 100? Um, or are you working on experiment and possibly expand the core range? Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of people, I, I think what he's trying to say is you guys kind of hit down the middle of the fairway a lot. Um, I think that's probably what he's saying. And we hear that all the time. Um, you can't build a brewery um, and you can't build a sustainable brewery on chasing esoteric beer styles and fads. That's yeah. just the reality of it. Um, we've been in a position where our beers have all been strongly taken up and you've only got enough uh, tank space to make certain amount of beers which keep everyone in jobs, which keep us bringing back. It's only till this year that we've started to move outside that a bit and start create more beers that we want to drink. With Bolter, we only create beers we really love to drink. Um, we don't feel that creating a style out there just because it's happening um, works for us because we don't believe in it. And if we're talking about communicating our brand from a point of conviction and passion, we have to make what we believe in. You know, for us, the glaring um, style of beer that we don't make are sours. And um, it's because we don't want to infect this precinct with um, shit that could bring down the entire business. So our next focus is really getting a, a sours program up and running detached of here so we can drink more of the good beers we like. Um, Bolter will continue to do its thing. We don't um, make something because it worked before either. All the beers in our range are beers that we've distinctly and purposely made because we love to drink them. And, um, yeah, we're not, um, you know, putting wild jizz in, in things. We're not trying to make headlines with fancy ingredients or flamboyant ABV or whatever it is. We, it's just not in our nature. And why we don't want to go chasing that either. Um, and, you know... People will always go after those beers too, um, and which is cool. I love it. I love to see what is happening around beer. Like, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, when you look at brands like Garage Project or Omnipolo or um, McKellar or Wildflower, you guys push the envelope a lot. Um, it's amazing. We're just not in a position to probably do that as much as everyone else, um, given the things I just previously mentioned. Mind you, the... the um if you're only following what's on social media and what's coming out in the bottle shop, you, you probably are missing a lot of the stuff that goes in the tap room. Um, and you guys have a lot of amazing stuff coming through the tap room. And, and I will go back to this previous question from Mark, because since we're talking about the beer, the, the question was, what goes into deciding what tap room release is going to make it into cans as limited releases? Yeah, well, from day one, the tap room has been a voting system for us. Um, you know, we know what we love, but it means nothing if 
people don't love it as well. Like it's sort of, we love to make people happy with the beer they're drinking. It's just, it's like anyone's art. Um, it's like me with the films I make or whatever. You want to make sure that people get the desired effect. So for us, um, we see them running away on the tap room. So if we put a beer out and all of a sudden that thing's just bolting, we go, oh, wow, there's something in this beer that's really thing. So we'll go take that beer away and, and analyze it a bit and go, what is it about this beer you think people are liking? And Scotty will go, well, I reckon it's X, Y, and Z or it's this hop or that hop. And then we'll go away and just tweak it a bit and off we go. We had an amazing beer called Hank. And uh, it was made for Azza Waters, who's our operations manager here. And it was his alter ego is Hank. He's a real fun bloke. And... Um, it was a strong pale ale, and um, that was strong pale ale before strong pale ale. Um, we tweaked a few things, and then old strong pale ale came about. So our tap room really does decide, which is you guys, the people who come here to frequent, the people who show up at beer festivals and drink our beers. You ultimately are deciding what ends up in tinnies. Um, so you probably can predict maybe the next few beers that are coming out from <laughs> us if you think hard. Nice, and that's that's probably if I had to choose, that would probably be my favourite bolter beer, the strong pale. Awesome. Um, final question from Paul Simpson, who's uh, Simpo, who's one of our early investors and yeah, a yeah. big fan of bolter. Actually, lives down this end of the coast. Another one of the, I, I reckon, just a wonderful local craft beer sort of brethren, really. Yeah, um, you know. Um, so he and this this question's a little cheeky, but I, but I will ask ask you. Um, I'd like I'm to ask cheeky. <laughs> how they go about maintaining their brand. There have been a few copycat brands that have appeared in the last couple of years. Most recently, I did see the milk one. Uh, most, oh. recently, most recently, <laughs> a milk carton. Uh, um, yeah, how, how do you go about that? Man, I used to get real eggy about it originally, and then I I turned it into humour and I started poking fun at it. Um, now I've just resigned myself to the fact that we have created something remarkable original first mover all those buzzwords that you hear and fucking talks about design but um you know what like i said we don't look to the side when we're determining our path um you know people now see those things like that that milk brand in the big supermarket that chain. was pretty blatant that one that was rude um and but at the same time it's like well that's what happens when you do something that people desire, and I think. Um, do you, do you actually to get deep into the question? Do you reach out to them and ask them? Or um, there's nothing we can do about it, so there's no point for me letting people know they maybe got under our skin. Um, for me, I just see it as flattery. By the time they're copied, we've moved on, um, and you can't like a oh, who was it? It was on a podcast recently. Really good designer. Did all the stuff for um, Kaiju and um, and co-conspirators. I did a podcast with him recently. He's, he's, I met him once. He's a really good bloke. But anyway, he actually mentioned Bolter in that in his top five designs. Yeah, um, well, Bolter always comes up when anyone's talking about design. Yeah, and he just said real simple. He goes, "They're the first mover." So everyone out there trying to copy, just stop. Mm. And and that was his response. So, look, it is what it is. We can't change it. We're not going to change who we are. Um, you know, so. And the other thing is, is you can only imitate an original. Uh, no one knows or really understands everything that goes into that design. So they can only copy what they see on the surface. So yeah. for me, um, yeah, we'll just continue doing what we do. And there's nothing we can do to mitigate it, unfortunately. Um, people Good. do what they want. Good answer. Um, uh, just on the thing how you're saying it, it used to knock you a bit. Does, does being on the social, this is unrelated to any question anyone else has asked, but selfishly I want to know, 
um, being the guy that's on the social media all the time, <laughs> do you like does it drive you nuts when people are negative about anything to do with Bolter? Um, no, I, the, I see it like this. When I first started, yeah, big, it didn't drive me nuts. I kind of felt nearly hurt. Yeah. Like I was like, because what people don't see, those people people put a post up, right? And they're the biggest beer guy in the world and they drink XPA and they just go, meh. Um, what they say meh to is a beer that's probably won more awards than a lot of beers in Australia, right? It's technically excellent beer made by an incredible brewer supported by a wonderful team of individuals who in their personal lives are just humble, great people as a part of an Australian story that's quite remarkable. And in Australia, we tend to kick those types of things in the dick mm. um, and it's a bit of a bummer. Um, so in the in the start, I was like, oh man, I just wish you'd come down and hang out with us and I'll take you under the hood and show you what you're flipping off. Um, but then as time went by, you, you do realise quite quickly you can't please everyone and, and nor should you. You need to know what you're good at and you need to believe in what you do and that's it. Now, people will come and go. They'll love you and they'll hate you. I think when the double IPA came out, people were just it, – it brought a few of the haters across. They were kind of like, oh, well, yeah, no, well, I don't drink their other beers but I don't mind this one. And then the staunch ones were still like, that beer sucks. It's the worst double IPA I've ever had. And at that point, you just – you just got to cop it sweet, you know. Um, diamonds don't happen because there's no friction, right? Um, you know, I love it when people don't love Bolter because there's an equal amount of people that do love Bolter and that friction creates diamonds. That friction creates talking points. That friction creates um, discussion and hopefully the, the discussion becomes constructive rather than, you know, your mum, your dad's gay and I hate your beer. Mm. Like, maybe it's like, oh, why don't you like it? And I think Nigel Ayling um, from We Love Craft Beer, is that his, uh, We Love Craft Beer? Yeah. Nigel, um, he doesn't love all our beers. Um, he loves some of them. Mm. Um, but Nigel, I think, I'll take my hat off to him because he always encourages um, intelligent debate. And that's all you can ask for. Awesome. Um so I know you're probably not going to want to plug anything, but uh, you're launching the lager this week. You got anything else you want to plug at the end of the episode? Yeah, mate. Um, oh, not really, but we're going to show up to the Backyard Invitational uh, by Stone and Wood in a, in a couple of weeks. I think it's August the 17th. 17th. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we're really pumped to go along there. So if you're, if you're on the Gold Coast and you want to come and hang out with a bunch of great breweries, sort of led by the legends at Stone and Wood, then, yeah, get on, get on down there. Mate, other than that, um, we'll have a couple of limited releases out towards the end of the year and, um, yeah, I probably can't say too much else. Or maybe, yeah, we'll even do a Tins of Glory tour as well. So oh, nice. if anyone wants to go throw tinnies down a bench, let us know. Um, we'll have it up on the internet soon. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, I'll think of a fucking better way to close out that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll burp into my mic. <laughs> I'm actually just going to leave it at that. I'm not a professional. You guys know what you're getting. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Cheers. Alrighty, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Sterls. As I said at the start, absolutely one of my favourite interviews I've done. Um, I just think the guy's a legend and, and think he does amazing work and was very generous with his time. I hope you got something out of that. Interesting to talk about something other than beer, so something um, that is often just in the background but is just such a major part of what we do in the craft beer industry. 
If you do like the podcast, uh, we would absolutely love you to leave us a review in the podcast app or on iTunes. Um, we had a little break for a few years there, so um, we're, we're kind of slipped down the rankings a little bit compared to where we were before. So the reviews really help us getting back in there and obviously sharing the show and um, participating in the conversations in the ambassador group about the podcast are all really valuable things to do. So please do that and I will see you guys next time.